So it's called. <laughs> I'm trying to like let him go. What is yeah. the? What is it about? Uh, okay. Well, just just to set it up, I guess I. I uh, <laughs> last night I went to see uh, Unhinged. You know the the instant Russell Crowe classic that has swept the nation. A road rage I, serial killer like thriller he, film. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it, it was okay. <laughs> the but, savior of cinema, as you will. <laughs> yeah. It was fine, but the the real takeaway. Uh, from my experience last night, I, I was sitting there before the movie, and they're playing previews, and uh, this this trailer starts playing for this movie with Kevin Costner and uh, Diane Lane. Yeah, is that her name? Yeah, Diane Lane. Mm-hmm. And uh, for a second, I'm like, oh, it's Ma and Pa Kent yeah. from, the, from the like Man of Steel and yeah. stuff. Um, I quickly realized that's not what it was, but I'm watching this trailer, and it's this kind of moody, broody family drama crime thriller thing and uh you know how trailers go they start getting with the fast editing and dramatic pacing and everything yeah. and somebody flies across the screen and it was none other than boo boo stewart <laughs> so i was like oh my god yeah boo well, boo stewart's got a new movie coming out yeah. we got to talk about this on the cast so it's called let him go yeah not only did you have a weird snyder kind of feel with the fact that it's Ma and Paul Kent from his Snyder, <laughs> from his version yeah. of Superman. You also saw the man we have constantly tried to throw back into this podcast. <laughs> so of and course you had to open the last with time, that. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely not. And with that, hello everyone. Welcome Howdy. back to Odd Trilogies with Logan and Andy. I'm Logan Sowash. I'm Andy Carr. And on this podcast, when we talk about Odd Trilogies, we are talking about a trio of films. And we cover them, whether they're a trio based on number, cast and crew, thematic elements. And we talk about each film one by one, and we discuss the good, the bad, and the weird surrounding the trilogy. And today we are finishing our second trilogy, which we have dubbed The Rise of Snyder, with, which is arguably the most interesting film of these three <laughs> <laughs> that we've chosen. Yeah. And that is 2009's Watchmen. Probably the first and not the last time Snyder will be considered controversial when it comes to comic books. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I guess the best way to start it is, uh, Andy, what did you think of Watchmen? <laughs> well, uh, we had both seen this before, but I, had, yes. I don't think I had seen the director's cut. Oh, yeah, yeah, we yeah. We watched yeah. this time, the three-hour <laughs> director's cut. So that's another thing about this is that Watchmen has three different cuts. <laughs> There's the theatrical cut, which is about two hours and 45 minutes. There's the director's cut, which is about three hours and some change. And then there's the ultimate cut. And the ultimate cut is basically in the comic, there is a comic within the comic called The Tales of the Black Freighter. And apparently when the initial production of Watchmen was happening, after 300, Snyder wanted to put Gerard Butler in there in some place. But he couldn't find a role for him (laughs) because it was already casted. And so they said... Oh, no worries. You'll get to be involved in the film in some way. And you put him as the narrator in the Tales of the Black Freighter. And in the ultimate cut, they take the animated film, which they made, and they kind of released it around the theatrical release of Watchmen. And they cut it together with his director's cut to basically make it as close to the comic as possible. (laughs) And I have not seen that version. I've actually not seen the Tales of the Black Freighter film. I think I've seen, like, I thought I saw a trailer. At one point, cause it was extremely, it was VOD, or it was straight to DVD, because VOD really wasn't a thing back then. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's it's a very weird film in Snyder's filmography for several reasons. I mean, the first one is that this is the first time I think he becomes 
at least divisive in terms of the films he does. Yeah. <clears throat> because in Dawn of the Dead in 300, again, a lot of that, uh, like, the retroactive, like, oh, like, there's a lot of Iraq War symbolism. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of stuff in here that probably has not aged well and since it's been released. Um, at that time when they were released, it really wasn't really discussed about because it was the early and mid-2000s. But yeah. now, with this film, which is... Watchmen the comic, if you don't know what Watchmen the comic is, it's written by Alan Moore, and it's uh, the art's done by Dave Gibbons, and it's a extremely political comic. <laughs> yeah. So with this one, it's like, the controversy is less about the politics, hilariously enough, with this one. <laughs> it's more about some of the decisions surrounding the novel itself. Well, it, surround, some of the decisions Snyder made in terms yes. of changes from yes, the that's novel. What yeah, my yeah. bad. Yeah, because this one... This is an odd one now, too, because when this initially came out, it is 2009. Um, Iron Man, The Incredible Hulk, and The Dark Knight were the three biggest <laughs> comic book films at the time, like a year yeah. prior. And this is the same year when this comes out, X-Men Origins Wolverine comes out. <laughs> so if I can say the worst possible time to make a Watchmen film, it's this early in, yeah. like, the MCU, it's also the height of the Nolan Batman films. Like, it's the weirdest time for DC to be like, let's bring out a film that is criticizing the idea of what would superheroes be like in the real world. Yeah, well, w whereas the the novel <laughs> came out, you know, after decades of, you know, superhero comics kind of at the height of their success mm -hmm. and that sort of thing, um, and it came in as this incisive sort of, you know, what-if flip of the coin uh, about about you know what superheroes could actually be like um, in a dark way, uh, yeah. This came out almost before enough superhero content. Yeah, could be before hit what's the considered the, the fatigue per se. Yeah, like, like to me, I think we talked about this. The best time for this to come out is like, let's say at the end of Marvel Phase Two, and mm -hmm. maybe right after Man of Steel, just to like yeah. even put more nail in the coffin of like. People are trying to do the MCU. It's not working unless it's the MCU. <laughs> People are starting to get fatigued with the amount of superhero films that are coming out each year. And then if this one came out, I think it would have done gangbusters. Because in all honesty, I mean, for me personally, I appreciate this movie more than I think I did when I initially saw it. Yeah. Especially now. I do think... I don't know, looking now, I think this might be my favorite Snyder film. I think it's mine. And yeah. I, I think... It might even be his best. I mean, even though we said 300 was his best, I think this is just yeah. so much more interesting. It's the decisions made yeah. and, like... Three, 300 is probably, like, the the best mm -hmm. he has ever... I, I, I don't know, it's, it's, I don't know how to put it, but It's he, Snyder it, Concentrate. It the, yeah, it's, it has it's the like, fewest, yeah. like problems inherently yeah. with how it's designed mm -hmm. watchman on the other hand is an incredibly mixed bag yeah of some really pretty cool things pretty yeah. good filmmaking mm -hmm. and then also just some bonkers decisions yeah. that don't make any sense i think this film is in terms of an adaptation three quarters perfect with the last quarter being so just jarring in terms of the lead up to it that it does feel like yeah, I can see why people were initially pissed by the changes made in here. Because, again, like, in case you don't know, which it's going to be hard to kind of do a synopsis of Watchmen, but I'll try my best. If you don't know what Watchmen is, Watchmen is, like, a super quintessential superhero comic book that came out in the mid-'80s. 
it is considered one of the greatest novels of all time. Mm-hmm. It's, I think it's in its times 100 greatest novels of all time. It's in there. And the and the novel itself is basically an alternate reality America where like in the in the early 1900s when like Superman was starting in DC Comics it's people who are inspired by that era to actually become superheroes, and it's following an alternate reality where you see how much has changed because of real life superheroes and real life Superman, real life kind of Punisher characters. Like, mm-hmm. there's all these different things, and it's all kind of brought together initially by the death of an old school superhero per se, and right. it's like a conspiracy noir film surrounding it. There's so much more to it than that, but like that's kind of like the basis of it. Yeah, the the A plot kind of picks mm-hmm. up with the the murder of this old time superhero, mm-hmm. the comedian, and so you you essentially get these other either retired or kind of yeah. still plugging away super washed up superheroes. We'll yeah. call them that. Yeah, uh, kind of trying to uncover the mystery of why mm-hmm. why the comedian was murdered, and they kind of unravel this massive, you know, mm-hmm. kind of. High stakes plot, or high stakes plot, yeah. Which is one of the reasons why this film is, to me, so astounding that it works still the way it does. Mm-hmm. Because there's, especially now that I've finished rereading the graphic novel after us watching it, there's just so much to that graphic novel that the film still captures, as well as actually putting hints and actually references from the tertiary kind of lore that's in between that, mm-hmm. that's actually put in there as well. Because there was like... There's one line that we thought was like a Snyder kind of beating you over the head with like, there is a character in the film called Dr. Manhattan who is basically the most godlike character you could have as a superhero comic per se. Mm-hmm. Like a little, probably a step above Superman. Especially oh, yeah, the I mean, he's got all sorts of reality mm-hmm. warping powers. Yeah, he can. Stuff. He basically can he just can manipulate atoms. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, there's a line in the movie, it's in the comic where it's like, the Superman is real and he's American. And then in the film, they have a moment where one of his best friends, Wally Weaver, basically says, like, no, no, I said God is real and he's American. And it almost feels like at the time you're like, did Snyder just throw this in there to make more Christ imagery? No, it's in the comic. Huh. It's actually, like, that's the thing, too, that's so crazy is, like, rereading the comic makes me either go, like, oh, this is probably a cheesy Snyder choice. Nope. It's in the comic. Or like, oh, maybe this is yeah. not really what I remember it being. And nope, it's, it actually is in the comic. Like, There's so much to the comic that is like, it's understandable that like people have been trying to make a Watchmen film before 2009 since like 1989. Yeah. And it got to the point where Terry Gilliam, who is known for being a part of Monty Python, he made Time Bandits, Brazil, some of the wackiest kind of abstract sci-fi out there. Even he said, this movie is unfilmable. It's like the only way you can make this work is if it's a mini series where you put a million per page is what he said. <laughs> yeah. And this is like and then it's crazy to think like yeah at that age of course like at that time CGI was not a thing. But then post Jurassic Park, post the 2000s, like it becomes more and more like we could probably do this. And then this film basically shows that Watchmen is not unfilmable. It's not perfect at all of an adaptation. No. But it gets so much right that I just didn't remember how it, like, it's so weird how reserved Snyder is in places. Like there's <laughs> in other, yeah, places, yeah. yeah, there's other times where it's like, yeah, that misses the point or like mm-hmm. it definitely, which apparently like, I think one of the reasons, one of the things we think misses the point is in the comic when it comes to violence, like this is a comic book about superheroes. There's obviously going to be action, but in the comic, when it comes to action, it's either brutal 
gross or just like super quick. And you're not supposed to really enjoy it. In fact, it makes you feel like you're supposed to be like, this is kind of gross. Like they're really, yeah. they're getting a little too into beating the shit out of people. Right. And in the and in the film, apparently Snyder tried to do that in his own way, and it completely just doesn't come across that way. <laughs> yeah, he he gets the brutality in there, but there yeah. there's a kind of a I don't know silliness. Al- almost, yeah, there's a silliness. There's almost kind of a Tarantino esque like. Mm-hmm. love for the action that's happening on screen yeah. as mm-hmm. you know somebody's getting their elbow inverted that was um, disgusting and, and it's just so silly <laughs> yeah there, there's not really a sense within the film itself of like oh this is messed up these people yeah. shouldn't be doing this or whatever it's just kind of like oh cool action scene i guess mm-hmm. <laughs> um and so yeah because like in the comic a, a great example of this is in the comic there's a moment where two ex-superheroes are just walking down the street and they go into an alleyway and in classic superhero fashion there are some gangbangers who are following them or are basically going to stick them up which leads to a fight scene in the comic the fight scene is like super like reds and pinks and oranges and it's like super intense and they look like they're rabid animals beating the shit out of these gangsters. Mm-hmm. And then you watch this for and you watch the film's version and it like it's super over the top. It feels like you're supposed to feel like, God, these guys are badasses. Yeah. Which is not exactly it's not even at all what you're supposed no. to feel during it. And because like, yeah, you see a moment where like an arm gets broken and it's almost like a 3D kind of effect where it's like, oh, the blood's yeah. gushing at the camera. Flying right at you, man. And you even see them, like, which isn't even happening in the comics, you see them just, like, legit kill people. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that that they wouldn't do, like, why? <laughs> why is this the part where it's like, because I think that's the biggest issue with this film is, like, in the beginning, for the first two acts, in my opinion, most <laughs> of the film is like, oh, my God, this is, like, a pretty good to great adaptation of the comic. And then a scene like that will come up. And you go, uh, you didn't have to, you were fine. Like, you didn't have to do that. Yeah. And like, there's, there's, and then it's the third act where it really kind of unravels the most. Where it's fine, but at the same time, it's like, did you just forget, like, <laughs> with this yeah. comic? Because again, it's like, I don't think Snyder is a huge super fan of this comic. Not saying that that's a problem. Like, again, yeah. a super fan. I mean, we got a super fan who directed and I think wrote the script for Warcraft, and it still didn't turn out good. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, it doesn't have to be a super fan is the only way you can make a great adaptation. But at the same time, it does feel like when it gets to the more gray areas of the comic, which the car- the comic is just gray all the time just gray 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 and in this film it's like it gets the grayness when it's easy but when it gets to the harder shit to discuss it just goes like no this is black and white this is what good and evil is and it's like no this isn't a good and evil story it definitely (laughs) takes the easy way out a few in a few too many critical spots yeah i honestly i think my biggest problem with the movie is not even so much like Okay, yes, the, the the third act, the finale, does kind of, like, reveal itself as the, like, oh, Snyder's going off the rails and he doesn't really mm-hmm. know what kind of changes to make. <clears throat> but I think my problem was a more, I guess, slightly more subtle but more pervasive problem of, like, there's just a sense that Zack Snyder wanted to make a superhero movie, like, just a superhero movie. Yeah. And he made the mistake of picking Watchmen, which is, like, an anti-superhero mm-hmm. movie, well, like, almost. Yeah, I think it was um, just like... And it's like, instead of making a Watchmen mm-hmm. adaptation that carries over the, 
you know, the, mm-hmm. the themes and the, the important takeaways of Watchmen and all the moral grays, uh, there are a lot of moments where it's like, it's like he just wants to create the classic kind of tropey superhero moments of like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, they're beating up the bad guys. Yeah. And it's like, I don't, it's, it just doesn't feel quite appropriate with, mm-hmm. <laughs> with the subject matter. It's, it's obvious one of the selling points of Watchmen, to I think on a, on a surface level to any director, is it's a comic book film that is like anti-comic book. It's, an, it's a superhero film that's anti-superheroes. Yeah, it's dark, it's serious, yeah. it's morbid. Like, it takes the consequences of mm-hmm. the character's actions very seriously. Yeah, like in the comic, it's like this question of what would happen if superheroes exist in the real world? And the short answer is... Uh, it it really would just make things worse overall. Like, basically in the comic, the introduction of a godlike character like Dr. Manhattan, who is basically a guy who accidentally gets trapped in, like, a nuclear experiment, his body explodes, and then he, basically, his consciousness is able with the radiation to reform his body into, like, this blue godlike creature. In the alternate reality, once Dr. Manhattan is introduced... Basically, the Cold War is like enhanced by like a hundred, like fifty yeah. percent. Where it's like in the real world, like yeah, the Cold War was scary at its time, but thankfully, it never felt like it was at a point where it's like tomorrow everything's going to end. In the comic, because we have Doctor Manhattan in the states, everyone else is afraid of us mm-hmm. and almost like willing to just basically like think like if we don't attack first are they going to attack us and that's just like with one character like all these other superheroes it shows like the people who become superheroes it's this idea of like in most comics the people who become superheroes are the ones who are maybe more like kind of more rock solid in their ideals like nothing's ever going to really shake them Mm -hmm. when in reality these are normal people pretending to be more than normal people and it's always going to end up their own vices, their own demons, their own kind of like traumatic experiences is going to lead them to do some horrible things or become completely different people. Like it's the, the superhero myth in general and most, you know, mainline superhero comics and stories are built on idealism. Yes. You know, the sense that like we all want to believe that somebody who's given these powers would do Mm -hmm. you know ultimately like do you know good without really getting anything in return Mm -hmm. other than maybe fame um and that's it's you know it's a form of escapism we all would like to think if we got those powers we would do good with them yeah uh watchman is very much not grounded in that sort of escapist realism or escapist idealism it's Mm -hmm. very much grounded in realism and hilariously enough just in the comic they address like again superman exists in their world so it's (laughs) like it's 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 like like hey i think i could do that yeah and then it causes like oh no there's so much more to this (laughs) than like uh yeah yeah, it's just a it's but go ahead sorry about that well i just it's so much more the the graphic novel is so much more than just a you know a grim dark superhero story Mm -hmm. you know it's not just it's not just superheroes with a darker coat of paint and Mm -hmm. more vulgarity and violence it's very much a a it's transplanting the idea of superheroes into a version of you know something that resembles our reality and tries to ask questions about you know what would actually happen if this were to become a thing? Um, and I think th- that's probably what gets lost the most in Snyder's interpretation of it is, hmm. 
I mean, there is still definitely some of that in there because he goes like panel for panel for so yeah, much like of that's, the film. That's so cool. But, is like yeah. it's obvious that Snyder, when it comes to storyboards, just used panels. Mm-hmm. Like I think at one point he he does say whether it's in an interview or like it's beyond the scenes stuff where it's like. To him, the panels and the artwork are just as important as the writing because, like, that's yeah. what makes it so iconic or, like, certain panels. Like, it's like Dr. Manhattan in Vietnam or, like, mm-hmm. the first time we see Rorschach in the windowsill and, like, yeah, all these other th- – like, there's so many in that comic that it's, like, it would be foolish not to take yeah. some panel by panel. Well, and it, it's obviously a, a – an extension of his work on 300 because 300 was a very strike visually striking graphic novel yeah. and he took it and in many places panel for panel mm-hmm. put it on the screen and like kind of made his trademark that mm-hmm. way you know creating these you know very punchy um still visuals in his in his film and he carries that over to Watchmen kind of you know using the source materials visual storytelling to his advantage mm-hmm. um but I think we see the just the seeds of what will later become a pervasive problem in his work. Where yeah, he's yeah, yeah. Just prioritizing putting those panels on screen without taking into account mm-hmm. the meaning or how he should be setting those up. Yeah. It's not so much a problem in this movie as it is in mm-hmm. his later work. But it's like, you know, having watched his DC movies, you know, where he's got to throw in the Dark Knight Returns panel yeah, and stuff yeah, like yeah. that mm-hmm. into Batman v Superman now retroactively kind of watching this again it's like oh okay yeah this is where he kind of starts prioritizing his mm-hmm. visual moment to moment storytelling over like coherent themes yeah. and stuff i mean that's also like i mean i wouldn't wish someone to do watchmen and to like <laughs> to most i mean because like this thing is like rereading it i'm like i've i've read the comic two or three times i mean the first time I read the comic was right, like, a few months before. I think I, I told you about this, where it's like, I had seen the trailer, which apparently was in front of The Dark Knight. Oh, okay. I enjoyed, I I loved the idea as a kid, and so, like, I was at Target one time, I saw the I saw the graphic novel that is, like, literally everywhere. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's like, it's one of the most in, you cannot not find Watchmen oh, somewhere. Yeah. Like, it's... Uh, which is there? It's on purpose. That's a loophole that DC uses so they can keep the Watchmen rights <laughs> from Warren Gibbons. But like, I got the comic and I asked my stepmom at the time, like, "Hey, I want this comic. Is that okay?" And she's like, "Yeah, sure." And then we get into the checkout line, and she's like, "I don't even know what this comic is." Like Logan just gave it to me. Let me just check. And she opens up to like two naked bodies with no <laughs> context, and I kind of know the context, but I'm also like trying to be like, "No, it's I'm not getting it for that reason." And she just like goes like. Just don't tell your father. <laughs> yeah. She bought it for me, and it's the same copy that I have. And rereading it, I cannot believe how much I completely forgot. Because, like, there is so much in this book that, like, if you just skip the tertiary stuff, you can obviously you're fine to get through the story. But there is stuff in between each issue in the in the like paperback edition and like the hardback edition. Where it's like, it gives more lore to the world, Mm -hmm. and it gives more purpose as to, like, some of the choices that are made in this film, which are kind of bizarre, and I never (laughs) expected that. Um, And just overall, like, it also made me realize, like, yeah, when it comes to trying to make this work on screen, it it all, everything counts. When you're going to make this film, what are you going to keep, and what are you going to get rid of? Because, like, the third act, it's hard for me after rereading the comic not being like... I can understand why you don't want to do 
the third act where like the third act it's like this the giant the, squid yeah monster. the giant squid alien monster because in the comic it there's literally moments where the comic just cuts away and you start seeing people you have no idea mm-hmm. who they are and it's not until the very end you go holy shit that's what they were trying to do and then like when adrian Veidt, who is who plays a superhero ozymandias he's like this retired rich guy uh, Rorschach says he's a possible homosexual, which is just hilarious every time I hear that in the film because it just comes out of nowhere. Yeah. And he's like, investigation needed. Yeah, it's, it's a few of those kind of throwaway lines <laughs> yeah. in Rorschach scenes where you kind of get a picture of like who Rorschach really is as a yes. person. Yeah. It's like, oh, he's, he's and, not and, a great And Rorschach guy. is like, what if, what if the Batman persona was like homeless and right wing? <laughs> and it's kind of like, that's yeah, kind yeah. of like the whole scenario with him. And the whole, like, third act, like, reveal, there is literally panel upon panel upon panel of just Ozymandias explaining everything. (laughs) And I'm like, that is, like, at least two to three pages of just Ozymandias being, like, here's step by step. Which in the film, again, in the film, they make a super simplified version of what Ozymandias is trying to do. It's the most different, I think, from the comic where yeah. it's like, it was like, oh, his involvement in general is probably the biggest yeah. departure because I feel like yeah. he has a much bigger role in the book. Well, a, a big thing about the book too is like, in the in the beginning stuff, he really is just kind of like in the shadows, or like not really in the shadows, but like he's he's a billionaire that like is super helpful. He's a th- philanthropist. Right. Like people love him, and in the comic, it's not until I believe the the tenth issue of twelve issues that you get the Ozymandias. Oh, like okay. this is what happens to me. Yeah. Where it's like in the in the movie they have to find a way to use it. And honestly in the movie it makes it makes a lot of sense because in the comic in the comic there's an assassination attempt on Ozymandias. And in the in the comic it happens where basically they're talking about like the Ozymandias toy line. Mm-hmm. But in the movie they find a way to basically have like people of industry that he's talking to about like clean energy mm-hmm. and he uses that discussion of clean energy to go into his backstory and it's like that's probably the best way you do this because Ozymandias' scenes are mainly just like this is what I'm doing this is who I am this is how it like it's all just like talky oh, and like okay, a lot of the yeah. visuals are just kind of straightforward where it's like that's all in the costume design and the production mm-hmm. design rather than actually like cool stuff <laughs> And it's, like, kind of hilarious, too, that, like, in the comic, his biggest influence and, like, his biggest idol is Alexander the Great. He always brings it up. And in the comic, he has this very old-school kind of Roman look to him, Mm -hmm. his his comic. In the Snyder version, they explicitly decide to do a homage to Schumacher's Batman films (laughs) by giving him, like, a rubber nipple... Yeah. Like, it does have some, like, Ozymandias, like, Egyptian ties to it, but it's still a rubber-nippled, super, like, Yeah, it's silly... a gaudy superhero. Suit. Yeah, and it's, yeah. like, it's kind of weird. And also, like, we... There's well, a line... he's, like, the only... Well, I guess there's Night Owl, but, like, he's one of very few superheroes, yeah. at least around mm-hmm. anymore, who still has one of those suits. Yeah. And so he kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah, because, like, basically all the all the old schools... Because, like, in the, in the Watchmen universe... In the 40s, there was a superhero group called the Minutemen, mm-hmm. who were basically all dead by the 80s for multiple tragic and just, like, old people reasons why they're not around. Because, like, 
superheroes either don't last long or if they do, they're sad. It's like another thing that the comic handles <laughs> is like... Died of they, old people. Yeah, nostalgia is a huge thing in the comic, obviously, because mm-hmm. it's like, remember the good old days where you used to punch that magician? Yeah. That was the day. <laughs> it's like... And in this, it's just like all the costumes for like the Watchmen are... Um, it's really just like Rorschach has a sock on his face mm-hmm. with a with a brown leather coat. Yep. Uh, Night Owl and uh, Night Owl in the comic is probably the only one that has like an actual like yeah. superhero looking costume, which he does. Get in the movie, it looks great. It looks exactly like it does yeah, in the comic. Yeah, he, he looks really good. Uh, <laughs> the comedian has like this weird like it's kind of Punisher, a Punisher patriotic. Yeah. Punisher, with, but with yeah, patriotic yeah. shoulder pads. And thankfully enough, they uh, in the comics he has like a gimp suit mask. <laughs> it's like his identity sealer. But in the film, he just doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. In the film, it's basically established that like by the time the comedian is killed in the beginning of the film, he's basically a government hitman. Yeah. Because like not only do you see in the opening credits, which are again, if you've ever if you need to hear anything about Watchmen, the opening credits are phenomenal 10 out of 10 if the movie ended at the end of the the opening credits 11 out of 10 great film but during that you see the comedian basically they're basically saying that the comedian killed jfk and he also Mm -hmm. makes a reference which is also in the comics to killing woodward and bernstein so he's the reason why watergate doesn't happen so nixon gets i believe three terms in the comic (laughs) yeah well yeah because of the like comedians and dr manhattan's aid in like the vietnam war and the u.s kind of bulldozing over that conflict and then the suppression of the watergate scandal there's just this like nationwide you know rush of enthusiasm for the administration so they repeal the 22nd amendment and give nixon Nixon, a third term nixon is the president in 85 which is where the comic takes place i think in the film is it 87 did they take a place i don't know if they say i don't i don't remember it is still the 80s in in the film but um i know there's a scene at the end when you're seeing ozzy's all of his tv monitors the like 1984 apple commercial is playing looney tunes is playing around there somewhere there's other 80s related stuff that's playing during that but uh yeah, and that's one of the best parts I think about this film is like there are certain things that are just explained outright in the in the comic where it's like they explain to you that since the U.S. won the Vietnam War, there are now fifty one stars instead of fifty on the flag because Vietnam is now considered a state in the United yeah. States. Or like uh, there's a basically a Breitbart esque newspaper called mm-hmm. the New Frontiersman, which is like talked about in the comic is basically just like an alt right esque comic or a uh, newspaper that Rorschach reads, obviously, and thinks it's the only, like, harbinger of truth. Legit, yeah, yeah, the only legit news agency. And then, like, all these things are, like, obviously they're not going to take the characters and go, hey, let me explain this one thing to you. The production design does a great job of showing it. Like, yeah. There's a great moment where a comedian is doing one of his great speeches from the comic, and you see in the background uh, Vietnam, new 51st state. <laughs> and then later on there's a new frontiersman thing where it's like, like us or hate us, you know we are on the right. And then it's just <laughs> someone spray-painted wing on right, it, which right. is in the comic as well. So it's like the production design, the visual effects, like everyone involved seems to be putting their A game into mm-hmm. this film to the point where it's like a lot of the decisions they make in this film, I don't think you could – you can you have to do like with manhattan it's fantastic where it's like 
Manhattan is Billy Crudup, and they mm-hmm. are Crudup. How do you? I've always said Crudup. Crudup. Just because Crudup sounds gross. It sounds cruddy. like it sounds like I coughed Crudup up. <laughs> like, <laughs> like spit out your Crudup. <laughs> but he plays Doctor Manhattan, and the way they do it is he basically wears like a mocap suit. But instead of just a mocap suit, they also put like blue, LED lights. They put LED blue lights. LED lights on that not only help the visual effects artists make the right blue hue for Dr. Manhattan, the lighting is also correct. They don't have to basically flub and pretend. Yeah, he, he yeah. emits blue light onto yeah. other characters and usually, objects. Usually with motion capture characters like that, you would have to, you would basically do a plate of like what the whole environment would be, and then you put him in, and then like you would do with just the lighting and like there are different plates you would have to do and with that it's like you can almost get it in one go Mm -hmm. and that's like a super cool idea where it's like i think is one of the best reasons why like snyder was great for this film because it was like he just got off a 300 he just knew how to kind of do it and like how to work with people like it's it's very interesting just like how this film landed on his lap basically because it went from like terry gilliam in the eight late 80s yeah. and then kind of went back and forth at one point i think you know michael bay paul greengrass basically if you had made a popular or successful <laughs> yeah. film in the early 2000s they were trying to push it on you. Yeah. yeah and then like they just they're just like snyder let's yeah. try snyder because he just like 300 had just come well, out wasn't wasn't like, david Hayter gonna well, that was the thing, too, is, like, this film has multiple different drafts, where it's, like, right. I think Sam Hamm wrote the 80s draft. Ha- David Hayter, who, if you play video games, the voice of Solid Snake from Metal Gear Solid wrote the one of the early drafts of Watchmen. He wrote the version that got the test screening in 2003. Right. And then later on in the 2000s, when that kind of fell through, Alex, I think, C or to C... C he basically like picked that up and I think refreshed a lot of haters' work and became the film we see today. Yeah, and I mean, all, they're, yeah, they're both still credited mm-hmm. for the screenplay. And in all honesty, I've I've seen like some excerpts in terms of what the other drafts are going to be, and they're fucking insane. <laughs> Where it's like, because like a big thing apparently that was like people wanted to make Watchmen modern day. Like oh. uh, there was one where it's like right between I think Bay and Snyder. They had it set up for Darren Aronofsky, oh, and yeah. Aronofsky wanted that. it to be modern day with it instead of being Vietnam War, Iraq War. Yeah, and they and Warner Brothers was too scared to do that because it's the fucking two thousands, and no yeah. one's comfortable enough to start criticizing the Iraq wow. War yet. And you know, if you've seen three hundred, <laughs> yeah. Snyder's not going to do no, that. Absolutely not. He's going to basically if he's going to sneak anything involving the Iraq War, it's pro Iraq yeah, War more absolutely. than anything. So it's like, no, we're not giving it to Aronofsky. Uh, 300 was great. Yeah. I think Snyder can do this. Right. And it's like, the film had a lot of buzz surrounding it. It was, I mean, the, the trailers, I think, are both great. Yeah. Like, they're just, like, super well put together. And, of course, the reason why they are is they're taking very few action moments and they're splicing it together to almost, which is not, it's it's what's marketing has to do. It has to sell sure. a film, but, like. Watchmen's appeal is not the action. It's literally the world, the politics, right. everything surrounding it. But unfortunately, yeah. how do you sell that film in a Dark Knight Iron Man era yeah. to people who probably have no idea what it is? And so they just like they push that. And then when people get into the theaters and they have nothing, oh, no idea of what Watchmen is, and then they get like a two-minute sex scene done to mm-hmm. Leonard Cohen's cover of Hallelujah, it's like, what the fuck kind of film is this? Yeah. But when we see it, we go... 
That was a Snyder choice. <laughs> Which apparently there is, like, I think one of the lines, like, they used that version because, like, I think one of the last verses, there is a line that actually, like, almost is thematically works with where there are in this, at the film at the time. Uh-huh. Like, again, what's so kind of weird, too, is, like, when we watched this film recently, we're like, we just thought, oh, they put 99 Loof Balloons in there because it's the 80s. Right. Or, like, they put the Sound of Silence in there because it's, you know, the Sound of Silence. But, like, as you look in a further inspection, it's like, 99 Loof Balloons plays in the film where, like, the tensions between Soviet and U.S. are higher than ever. And 99 mm. Loof Balloons is a, is a song that was inspired by, like... What if balloons that went from the west wall to the east wall were enough to trigger a nuclear yeah. holocaust? And, like, The Sound of Silence apparently was written at a time where it was, like, invoking, like, post-JFK assassination. Like, yeah. this feeling of emptiness because of you didn't believe something like that could happen. Right. And, and it's, it's like just if, after. Yeah it's, yeah. it's comedian's funeral. So mm-hmm. it's, like, a similar kind of, oh, no, a superhero's yeah. dead. Like, mm-hmm. what? And, 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 we're not, and I'm not saying... That, like, these are entirely only Snyder's decisions. Like, he is a savant. Like, he is not, like, I'm, I'm saying this, like, Snyder has a, I, it's watching a film like this where it goes, like, I can understand why people keep giving him jobs. Because this film seems to really grasp Watchmen at the best times until it doesn't. But thankfully, yeah. that's not as overbearing as, like... Man of Steel or Batman v Superman, which I think those biggest issues are he is completely writing his own versions of Superman and Batman without really a comic yeah. to follow. Yeah. Which is thankfully with 300 Watchmen, he didn't have that issue. <laughs> yeah. And you see that more often with like, uh, I mean, I, I still think Sucker Punch is probably one of his worst films, if not his worst film, because that is entirely <laughs> his own design. And that movie is just so fucking weird. Yeah. And bonkers and just like overly complicated, <laughs> and, it, and it only seems like it's like that because he's like, I just want to make Alice in Wonderland, but with guns. Like it's like, okay. <laughs> and with this, I mean, it's obvious that Watchmen is the film he wants to do because it is a film that it talks about sexual assault, uh, gruesome violence, like all these things that like you can't really do at the time with Superman or any any kind of comic book character really. So it's like. Yeah. So it's like if you want to have a gorier scene with Rorschach, the studio is going to be much more fine with that than like I want Wonder Woman to like do this. It's like yeah, no, that's you gross. Can we get can't away do with that. more because yeah. it's a dark. Yeah, because it's, it's it's a dark graphic comic. Yeah. So it's like of course he can do dark graphic things. Yeah. With that, and it's still it's it's very weird just like watching it. It was at a point where we we just thought like at some point it was going to switch on and just be bad. Yeah. Like, it had this vibe where it's like we watched it with one of our friends and we were just like okay this is probably the time where it starts getting bad right and then yeah. like and then like we get to like a scene that we remember being like oh this is rough and it's not as rough as i remember it being it's still rough but it's like okay that's that still kind of works yeah. but then you get again you get to the finale which has changed the most and it feels so weirdly like of all the times to do the weird like the end of the Watchmen comic is horrifying. There are bloody bodies in Times Square. There is destruction everywhere. It is described in the comic as Hiroshima, but with buildings. <laughs> That's how they describe it in the comics. And there's this great panel of like all these horrible, like it's it's just it's a great panel because it's so like just eye catching and just horrifying. You, it's unforgettable. You see a dead alien 
atop this building in New York and just all these dead bodies surrounding it. And it's like, why the fuck does a director who wants to do shit like that just gorier, bigger, over the top, and at the end of the film, it's a fucking giant crater in a blue New York City. Yeah. It's so boring. Like, why the fuck would you do that when you have a comic that is literally throwing weird lighting at every panel, it seems? (laughs) Like, it's... Yeah. And especially with Snyder, who's constantly seems to be struggling to restrain himself. Now. Yeah. Yeah, and, and... He's so it's, reserved. It's just weird that you would replace this wild, colorful, bizarre oh my God, yeah. alien squid with a, a nuke. Yeah, basically it's um, – because it's like in the comic basically – nuke that makes a hole in the ground. Yeah, because basically in the comic, Ozymandias' plan is to – basically he hires writers and artists, sends them to an uncharted island that he owns, and they create an alien lore. About, like, there's this alien dimension that have, like, they're here to kill the Americans and the Russians. And they basically create this animal, like, this horrifying, freakish alien out of a cloned human brain and, like, design stuff. They throw it into New York City, and it's set up in a way where, like, apparently psychic blasts from the brain are, like, descend. Like, again, it's hard to explain to the point where it's like, I understand why they don't do that. Sure. But it's like basically in the comic it's like Ozymandias is using an unknown alien threat to basically bring the US and Russia together. So there's no World War 3. Right. Cuz in the comic it's basically said like even if they stop all but 20% of Soviet's nukes, the entire east coast is gone. The I think they say the farm belt will be mm-hmm. radi- irradiated like it's going to be a fucking mess. And in the movie Snyder, whether it's Snyder, whether it's Alex C, whether it's just like just this whole mix of different drafts put together, they decide instead that Ozymandias' plan is to use Manhattan and say like Manhattan was unhinged and he basically blew up every major city around the world. And so the whole world comes together to try and get Dr. Manhattan. Right. Which is fine. But again, it's just so unappealing like it's just so generic at the end when it comes to like the like just how everything looks like i I get it like this film was not cheap to make like apparently this film when snyder got it had already spent seven million dollars in pre-production and the the final budget is over a hundred so it's like which we'll we'll talk about later because it's like it's just insane how all this money is put into all these great production design choices, all these great costume designs, great moments of visual effects, and then you get to the end where, like, the end is a literal bombshell that shows this graphic, horrifying end. Yeah. And it's just a crater. (laughs) But thank God the World Trade Center is still up. Like, that's, like, a weird thing where it's like, yeah, yeah, but, like, it's still horrible that this (laughs) happened. Because, like, yeah, but you see the towers in the back? They never got hit. It's like Snyder that doesn't the bright timeline. Yeah, it's like come on, like it's it feels like you're more. It's it's so weird in the film. It's like, weird little flourishes yeah. like that throughout. Yeah. That's just like what is what, Snyder? What are you what are you what are you getting at here? Yeah, like, it's, it's it's so weird that in the in the film. It's like when Doctor Manhattan and uh, his ex uh, Lori show up. She's like she's like a second generation superhero in her family. They show up to this crater and they're there for like five seconds and they're like. Oh, it was Ozymandias. Let's get out of here. And then in the comic, like, 
Like, they get there, and, like, uh, Dr. Manhattan is, like, Sherlock Holmesy and everything. Like, how the heck did this thing get here? Like, he is just baffled by what happened. And Laurie is just, like, disgusted and horrified. Mm-hmm. Like, she just wants to throw up. And it's like, can you please just get me the fuck out of here, John? Like, this is disgusting. <laughs> and it's like, in the film, it's like, there's a hole. Yep. I think it's Ozymandias. Let's go get him. It's like, it's like it's such an impactful part in the comic. And I get, I mean, I don't know. It's just... I get it. It's it's a hard sell to be like, all right, we're going to have an alien that just shows up. Yeah. It's like, well, why does the alien show up? It's because Ozymandias creates this narrative. And it's like, at the time, I can understand, like, either whether it's Snyder or someone, one of the producers, is like, we can't sell this to a studio. But then 10 years later in the HBO sequel series to the comic – they use the they use the squid. They follow the they comic book. It, it they reference the, it, yeah. and it works perfectly. <laughs> and it's like you can make this work. Like yeah. that's another reason why I think this film is so interesting. Now, when this film came out, there were two things of Watchmen content: the original graphic novel and this. Yeah. Since then, we now have a prequel comic series that basically follows each each character as well as like some of the Minutemen right. from the forties. Which even apparently retcons some of the stuff from the the main comic, oh, okay. which is so weird and like that's called before Watchmen. I would heard probably oh, not yeah, watch yeah, that. Yeah. And then after that, DC does a crossover series with their main with DC, DC yeah. where it's basically to a degree like Watchmen versus DC, <laughs> called Doomsday Clock. Right. And I've seen some of the artwork. I love the art style. Mm-hmm. The story is. It just just feels like absolute ass. It feels like it's, again, taking characters that live in the gray. These are characters you're not supposed to look up to or really like, per se, but they're interesting enough that you want them to be better people. And then in this, like, crossover series with DC superheroes, they basically turn every single one of those superheroes black and white. Yeah. They where it's like into the like archetype that the yeah. character was supposed to be kind of satirizing mm-hmm. cuz like, like okay, well. it's like there's super interesting stuff in Doomsday Clock where it's like the Rorschach in this film and that in that series spoiler alert in the Watchmen graphic novel and in the film Rorschach not being able to live with like Ozymandias' decision is like I'm going to tell the whole world that you did it and then Dr. Manhattan blows him to pieces mm-hmm. <laughs> in the Doomsday comic Doomsday Clock comic book it is uh, a black man that picks up that, which is so interesting okay. because it's like yeah. it's a black man picking up a moniker that was used for like a racist, misogynistic, mm-hmm. homophobic, and they address it for like a few seconds, and then it's like you can change that into something good. And it's like <laughs> you seem to be missing the point as to maybe he should just be his own person. Yeah, and it's it's and then after that you get the HBO sequel series, which in all honesty is just chef's kiss it's not it's not a 10 out of 10 perfect show but my god it gets me so excited for just it's like the first time in a while where it's like someone other than alan moore does a watchman thing and it it feels so in vain of watchman like it's so far in the future it's like there's no way this is not going to fuck this up and then like the first episode you're like all right i'm on board and then the last episode you're like holy shit it's still great (laughs) it's like and so since then, because, like, when this film came out, Snyder got so much hate. Because Gilliam is such an interesting director. Like, he was always that unsung hero who made these wacky, over-the-top sci-fi films that, like, are gonzo but never made money. Mm-hmm. And people always thought, like, Gilliam was always the perfect choice. 
So when it found out that the 300 guy was going to make Watchmen, most fans of the Watchmen comic basically hated Snyder's guts. <laughs> and it's the first time I think Snyder actually deals with any kind of blowback from a fan base. Yeah. And I think it's honestly, I think it's this moment in time where like people are like, fuck you, Snyder, you ruined one of the best comic books. You're a hack piece of shit director. I think it's this point in time where he decides to basically double down on his on his vibe and his vision and be like, fuck you, I'm Zack Snyder. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. And that I think leads to some of the weirder and dumber aspects of other films that he makes later <laughs> yeah. on. Like it's this is just a pivotal moment in comic book films in Snyder's career cuz like it is it just definitely just depends on the era you watch this and I think now if you rewatch it it just like it has gotten better it's just again it's it's such a complicated thing <laughs> with yeah. this yeah it it definitely leads to kind of a larger problem with his work later on mm-hmm. that isn't so much of a problem in this movie this, I think that he manages no, to yeah. get enough of this movie across. Because um, yeah, I think with, I mean, my my vibe in terms of what I feel is is his, is his issue is the less source material he has, the more like the more choices he makes that'll ultimately I think hurt a film in the end. Yeah, which is why you get things like Sucker Punch, Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, like yeah. the latter half of his career. While as with this. There is literally so much fucking material in this comic that, like, if he even veers off, I feel like it's just going to add more problems for himself. So he kind of stays into the source material for the majority of it. Yeah, and it's only when it's only at the moments where he doesn't know how to navigate it that he takes his own course. Yeah, and then it's like, ah, this isn't working. Yeah, like, and that's I mean that plays true. I mean, like, you go back to three hundred. That's a mm -hmm. pretty. I haven't actually read the whole. Uh, graphic novel but it's a pretty cut and dry story yeah and you know very striking visuals so like it was a very easy template for him to just kind of mm-hmm. you know oh yeah not no, i'm not trying to make his job sound easy but like you know it was no, very straightforward yeah. in that it was a clear story clear visuals he's got it it works yeah watchman like you said very dense comic mm-hmm. tons of stuff to pull from yeah um at the same time you know where the comic gets more gray he tends toward the black and white. Mm-hmm. And then as he goes forward into like superhero movies where he's not adapting a specific story, he's just mm-hmm. taking iconic properties and kind of telling yeah. a new story with it. You start to see like, ah, this, this guy's not a great ideas guy. Yeah. He might I mean, be your execution man if you've got yeah. a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like Snyder is absolutely killer with pitches. Like I feel, I feel like if he's pitching something, like I feel like, if he is doing a project, I think there's not a single one of his projects. Maybe Dawn of the Dead's the only one, but I think the majority of his projects, I can see him absolutely selling 100%. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, he has this great idea for, like, how to make Superman more interesting. <laughs> or, like, how to bring in a more dark and gritty Batman into Batman v Superman, which will ultimately lead to a Justice League film. Yeah. Like, I could see him selling the shit out of those ideas, but when it comes to the execution, it's so weird. Yeah. And, <laughs> and like, rushed. Yeah. And it's like... I, I just had... I can't shake the feeling he's a little bit of, like, a snake oil salesman mm-hmm. with, with his pitching. I yeah. Mean, he, is a, he is a good salesman. Because he'll, like you said, have these ideas for, oh, I've got this different way I want to do Superman. Mm -hmm. And, like, it all sounds good until you see it. And then the more he talks about it, once you've seen it, you're like, 
yeah. you didn't really think this one out, did yeah, you? Like, <laughs> Watchmen has this. The Watchmen. The biggest thing about Watchmen that I would consider it the most difficult thing to adapt is like. Watchmen has big moments that are like pretty cut and dry as to why this is a big moment in the story. Like, yeah. like the comedian's death or like Ozymandias' plan coming to fruition. Like these, these big moments. However, there are also stuff in like the tertiary kind of like lore. And there's also like small, like emotional character moments that I feel, and I feel like more makes it clear are just as important as those mm. bombastic moments. And Snyder really doesn't push that that often. Like, yeah. in the comic, the comic, like, makes Dr. Manhattan so much more interesting because, like, he establishes that, like, he doesn't live in the present. Like, the way that his body works, he literally just works. He doesn't see time as a linear thing. He sees it as a circle. He is living every single day, hour, minute at the same time, mm. which makes it so hard for people to comprehend. Because in the comic, there are moments where he's like, he says something that doesn't make sense until two hours later. Yeah. And it's like, that's so hard to capture. And in the film, it's obvious that they don't they don't usually really use that a lot. Yeah, the, the they, closest they, use, they really get to that, I feel like, is when he's you hear Manhattan periodically say in the present tense, yeah. you know, it is this year. I'm this many years old and yeah. I'm doing this. And it's like 20 years or ago. It's, or it's almost and like he's a, kind of transporting yeah. you around these flashbacks via a present tense yeah. speech pattern. Or it's like he does things where it's like, say hi to Dan for me. And he's like, what do you mean? And it's like, you're going to ask me to go to dinner and I can't do that. And you're going to be sad. So you're going to call Dan in like five minutes. Like he does like these weird magic trick motions where yeah, it's like, it's, look, you didn't see that the thumb is actually over here. It's, like, it's the, like, yeah, like the mentalist or something. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to guess what number you know. Like it's, yeah. and that's like the moments they put in the book, they put in the film, but they don't really talk about the fact that like Manhattan's presence is truly a danger for everybody. Like yeah. he is, he is a God. Like he is basically the closest thing we have to a God. And they bring it up in the film, but it feels like it doesn't push anything more of that. Mm -hmm. And, like, there's other stuff, too, where it's, like, with Rorschach's character, there's a great thing in, like, the kind of little lore bits in between issues where you see that Rorschach as a kid, like, he believes, as like, he, for some reason, they, like, he lived in an orphanage in the comics, and they asked him, like, who his parents were. And uh, Rorschach hates women and idolizes men because the version of his father that he thinks of is non-existent because he's never met his father because he doesn't know who his dad is. Yeah, so and his mother yeah, and his mother was abusive mm -hmm. and a prostitute. So he hates women, basically, and <laughs> idolizes the men. Right. Because in the comic, he loves the comedian but hates Laurie. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like, Jesus Christ. But in the comic, there's this moment, there's one line that I think completely like recontextualizes the finale where he's like, I know that like it's sad that the Hiroshima-Nagasaki thing happened, but they were going to attack us, so I think all those millions of people died for a purpose. Yeah. Like, as a 13-year-old, he says that. <laughs> and then you get to the end of the film, where millions of new, like, millions of people across the world die for a lie. And, like, he, like, basically breaks. Because mm -hmm. Rorschach's big thing in the comic, which they kind of tap a little bit, is that Rorschach's issue is not just that he's homophobic. or He's got a lot of issues. His biggest issue is he believes justice is black and white. Right. So when he is when he is involved with the most gray thing he has ever dealt with, which is, do you tell the truth even though that could ruin a fake peace, or do you keep it silent and then you live with that lie forever? Mm -hmm. He just he just goes for the easiest option and doesn't really think about the the what that will lead to the consequences. Right. 
in the film they don't really talk about it as much. There's just so much in the comic that is just as important as the big stuff. And with Snyder, he gets the big stuff right, but when it comes to the little things, he doesn't really do as much. Because, yeah. like, I don't know. Like, it's 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 something that I understand because, again, it's a big fucking book. It's 12 <laughs> issues of comic that they turned into, honestly, a two-hour and 45-minute cut that shouldn't work. Mm-hmm. Hell, we were surprised that we watched the three-hour cut, and it, it didn't. It went by pretty fast. It didn't drag. Yeah. It, like, kept being interesting all the way through. And that's after they cut... The cops that are in the book, the like the tales of the Black Freighter stuff, which mm-hmm. they add into a later cut. Like they've cut so much out of the comic, they like basically got it to like to the meat and potatoes, and it still like is missing a few things. Like that's right. how dense Watchmen is. Like it, it's like I don't think it's on the same level, but it's almost as if someone's like, "What if we try to make Infinite Jest into a film?" And like, <laughs> you just like slap that guy in the face, yeah. or like or like the Dark Tower series, which they constantly keep failing at because yeah. there's just so much in those books. Like the fact that the, this film came out and it's actually really good. It's a good adaptation and it's an enjoyable film. Like that in itself should be a miracle enough. However. In classic fandom fashion, because it cuts things out and it's not perfect, he gets demonized almost immediately for honestly probably his best film. It is, yeah, his <laughs> yeah, it's best like, film. Because like at that time, it's like you made a shitty adaptation, you're a shitty director, and it's like <laughs> now it's like you guys overreacted so much. I like, think this movie yeah. works. I think, like, I think it was an overreaction. And I do agree that the film works. I liked it, which is not something I necessarily would have said before no no no, 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 no yeah yeah i was thinking more like it's okay um i did enjoy it because I, 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 I always I felt would... like i was the minority in that where like i always enjoyed Watchmen and i always kind of kept it to myself because yeah. i knew it was snyder and i was always worried if i rewatched it i would hate it yeah <laughs> but uh no yeah it's i i do still think while i think he probably got the the amount he got reviled for this movie it was probably an overreaction although where he went from there was kind of <laughs> well, yeah, you yes, know, it yes. answered the question itself. But doing a good th- adaptation think, does not make up for what he does later. <laughs> yeah, I, I also think that a lot of the frustration that people have with the movie is the mishandling of the moral gray, mm-hmm. some of the some of the more progressive or left leaning or yeah. anarchist, you know, oh, politics yeah. in the book. He oh, yeah. kind of throws those out the window. Oh, yeah. That's and true. It, it, to an extent, it's kind of like, these aren't story-breaking mistakes no. or choices. Yeah. Like, it's still the movie still works, but it's missing a lot of the same potency that made the original book yeah. huge. It mm-hmm. made it iconic. And, you know, I think a lot of people were understandably miffed that you took out kind of core elements of what made yeah. the original story special. So I, I get the reaction... And I even feel it to an extent while I'm watching the movie, but mm-hmm. I still enjoyed it. No, yeah. Like, like, it's it's an interesting movie, even if it's not as interesting mm-hmm. or in-depth as the story it's, you yeah. know, inspired by. And I, I completely agree. I do think that the kind of throwing out the more radical ideas and definitely not doing the moral gray as much, especially at the end, is definitely a, a negative hit on this film to the mm-hmm. point where it's like, I understand those criticisms, but at the same time, though, I think it's just the fact that this film has been shit on so much. Like, to me, this almost felt like, to a degree, like the Spider-Man 3 situation with Raimi, where it's like, that movie I don't think is as bad as people say it is. (laughs) I do still think it's bad, but I do feel like 
that movie when it first came out, it was like a super high, and then it got super low, and then like yeah. now it's kind of in the middle. With Watchmen, it's like Watchmen was really kind of enjoyed by most critics, but like fan like reception was so negative, and it's been like it's taken so many years for me to finally see more people be like, I actually do like Watchmen. There are dozens yeah. of us, and I think for me, I think it's just the fact that like this comic book is a ten out of ten. Like it is going to be difficult to turn this into a film, but the fact that it turns out to be, in all honesty, like a 7 out of 10 adaptation, yeah, I'll take it. decent yeah, movie. I'll take it. <laughs> Especially when we get phenomenal performances from Jackie Earl Haley as Rorschach, oh, yeah. you know, Jeffrey D. Morgan as, like, the comedian. What's so crazy about this film, too, and it's probably one of the reasons why it doesn't do as well initially, is the main cast is full of gr- mainly great performances yeah. by mainly unknown actors at the time. Like, yeah, at the everybody's time, really... Yeah, hitting for the fences what's hilarious though is out of all of those like out of all of those actors like say that they try to make the film in 89 the only one who's actually acting in 89 is jackie earl haley all those other actors and actresses didn't come in until like the 90s and the 2000s like it's like patrick wilson was basically thought about in this film because he was in 2006's little children with kate winslet Mm because snyder had saw that and he liked him and like malin ackerman or malin ackerman unfortunately if i say that name wrong sorry but like she's in like you know at the time like harold and kumar go to white castle is like yeah. the first film i think of when i think of her like the, or the heartbreak kid which was yeah. like that fairly brothers jeffrey film dean morgan time. wasn't a huge name yet he was I mean, he, he was, was izzy's dead ghost boyfriend mm-hmm. or husband from gray's anatomy like that's yeah. how i knew him before this film yeah and then he comes in and gives the comedian the veracity the disgusting like the thing that makes him so captivating, but also a horrible piece of shit. Like, yeah. like he perfectly captures he's what makes pig. this comic so good. Yeah, he's a he is a pig who works for the government, but is so tragic and interesting in his own right. That like all those characters work so well. The only one I would say that doesn't really bring it as much, and it's not really his fault. I think it's just he probably shouldn't have been casted as Matthew Good as Ozymandias. Mm. like he i visually i see what they're going for yeah like i i definitely there are moments in the film where it's like he gives off this like the whole thing about ozymandias i think that's what they were looking for someone who looks young but has like a worldliness to him yeah where it's like he, of weariness yeah, or a yeah he, veteran mm-hmm. he looks old but he has like a century old brain <laughs> and like matthew good at moments does have like elements of that yeah but it's like out of such a great interpretation of all the other characters, that one, he kind of just falls flat for the most yeah. part. Like he, it's... He's kind of just a, you know, I don't know. It kind of feels like <laughs> the, the facade yeah. aspect of um, Patrick Bateman in American yeah. Psycho. He's just like kind of cold and emotionless. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that like we don't get great, we don't get humanizing moments with him. Right. Like with everyone else, we get great humanizing moments where it's like, you know, the second Night Owl played by Patrick Wilson, he is, like, down on his luck, and he just, like, is having a midlife crisis that is basically personified by his old super suit <laughs> leaving in a case. Yeah. And you have, like, Dr. – like, you have Laurie who is dating Dr. Manhattan and, like, realizing she's, like, in her mid-30s and she's not going to have kids with this blue god. Right. Like she, All she has is superhero stuff, so what else can she do? And, like, you get to Ozymandias who has good, like – has like a human moment here and there especially towards the end of the comic in the movie he really just does feel like almost like a cookie cut villain a cookie cutter villain at times yeah i think that's one i think that's one of the reasons why there's that line where he's like 
Dan, come on. I'm not a comic book villain. Yeah. And it's like in the in the in the uh in the comic it's a completely different line, but I understand why they changed it. I think it and now it makes sense why it striked us so weirdly because it was like but you kind of yeah you are yeah, a comic yeah but yeah book but like in this interpretation you of Ozymandias like you're basically like a ha ha yeah <laughs> it's it, not as gray as you need it, it to be yeah. for him it, it doesn't it makes the uh, the thing about Ozymandias in the movie what what would work about him so well is that he is kind of right and it, it's it's hard yeah. to argue with the logic mm-hmm. maybe not the the morality or the the pathos of his decisions but the logic of his decisions is pretty sound yeah um, it's in in the film and it's not as satisfying i guess or it's not mm-hmm. as you know thought provoking or prov- it's yeah. not as provocative because because he's the rest of the yeah. movie you don't get an element that he's human at all like he's just yeah he's totally dispassionate that's and the, it kind of takes yeah. any oomph out of it. Like, it would be really nice to see him struggle to come to this decision mm-hmm. or, like, really have to look yeah. himself in the face and be like, I'm going to do this. Like, there's a great moment in the comic where, like, his plan has worked. Russia and U.S. are coming together. Like, world peace is actually going to be achieved. The idea of building a utopia on Earth might be able to happen. But the last thing he says to Manhattan is, like, John, do you think I did the right thing? Like, that's the most humanizing moment where it's like this whole comic, he has been so upright. He's putting on this facade that he doesn't believe he's the smartest man on earth, but he's putting on that facade Mm -hmm. in front of all of these, like, all of his, like, basically his known acquaintances. Right. Like, people he used to call allies, but now see him as a villain because he's killed millions of people for a lie. He needed that, and, like, Oppenheimer yeah. moment yeah. in the movie. It's, never it's, really it's has such that. a great moment in the comic. And then John just responds with, like, like Adrian, nothing ever ends. And then he just leaves. And then Adrian <laughs> is just frustrated because it's yeah. like he doubts himself even then. Right. And you don't get that in the movie because in the movie he, he sees it it's as so almost. assured. Again, yes, yeah, Snyder goes a black and white route with the ending, causing him to feel so like hammy at times yeah he's just like i'm right about yeah. this he's like yeah what are you gonna do about it those people deserve to die because we get peace and it's yeah. like it's like you killed fucking millions of people you don't get to choose who lives and right. who dies that's not but then again the film doesn't go with that idea because you see these superheroes choose to die constantly well in the comic the only person who really kills people is rorschach and that's yeah. why they kind of hate him it's like <laughs> it's like rorschach you don't kill people He's like, but justice. And it's like, no, that's not enough. Like, we are not the law. And he's like, then why do we dress up in costumes? And then that's where the gray area comes right, into there, right. which in the film doesn't have that because it just, it's much easier to be like, oh, this guy believes he's 100% right. It's that easy. Like, he mm-hmm. he bad, they good. <laughs> like, but then they, but then it like even conflicts with himself where it's like, you know, Night Owl agrees. Like, in this version where like Adrian is the quintessential villain. Like, they should really just keep fighting him, it seems like, in this black and white world. But then mm-hmm. they do, like, this, they still do the great decision of not telling the world the truth. Yeah. Which kind of seems to contradict what it's trying to change and do. And again, that's why I would say the third act is the sloppiest, because it takes a gray story for the majority and turns it way too black and white. Mm-hmm. Especially when the last part of it had some great ideas and kind of pitter patters into nothing. Right. So, yeah, I mean. 
I mean, that's Watchmen. Like, there's, there's just so much to talk about with it's this a, film. Yeah. That is like... I mean, it did, yeah, even with how much it takes out or simplifies from the book, mm-hmm. there's just a lot of yeah. movie to talk about and a lot, mean, of, a lot to pick apart and a lot that works and a lot that doesn't. Like, we're over an hour in, and I could probably talk for another hour just about <laughs> how much this film does that works but also kind of fights with itself where it's mm-hmm. like Rorschach is almost seen in Snyder's mind as like the true like kind of it's like he's like his batman before he gets yeah. to do batman and it's like no rorschach like, is Whoa, the, yeah he's he's like the worst kind of batman if he was batman yeah he's like he's almost like what's that version of batman where he goes i'm the goddamn batman <laughs> it's like that version of batman where it's like no yeah. i don't like this version it's well like, and yeah it's like you know you alan moore has some like pretty insightful or not insightful but funny comments about rorschach and like his his place in like pop yeah, culture and he's like absolutely. i hate that guy i hate yeah. people who like him oh my that's that's he's why not I, a good person you're not supposed to like him. that's what's so weird Zach about like, over here is like yeah. oh he's a badass and that's what's so interesting now with like again now that we have a sequel series that actually handles the lore in the world of watchmen well it's very interesting to look at the rotten tomatoes type thing where it's like rotten tomatoes for the film of watchmen is like in the 60s, the fans are, like, in the 40s. Mm. If you see the Watchmen TV show, critics are, like, in the 80s and 90s. Audience reception, 20%. Oh, yeah. Because the film, because the show pushes what the film doesn't push, which is Rorschach is, a, yeah. honestly, a true menace. If more people had his mindset, we would be in fucking danger. It would turn into an alt-right group like it does right. in the sequel uh, series. Honestly, I think the, the pushback... From fans to Snyder's version was, you know, diehard comic fans being frustrated with his changes. Yes. Yeah. Then you go ten years later, the pushback with the Watchmen yeah. TV series is fans of Snyder's movie. Oh yeah, it, it that, definitely could be mad I've, that it. Oh, for swings sure. the pendulum back toward how the mm-hmm. source material. But you know. yeah, but I also think it's it's definitely because when you think about Watchmen as a comic, the majority of it comes is like it is the visuals, it's the nostalgia of like. Yeah. You know, they'll look up and shout, save us, and I'll say no. Yeah, it's the or grim, like, yeah, yeah, and, you know, Manhattan's origin snarly. story. Or like, what happened to the American dream? Yeah. You're living in it. It came true. Like, yeah. it's like moments like that where it's like, you remember that from the comics, but the the gray minutia seem to get lost. Yeah. Especially when DC is completely fine with keep selling that version, but also kind of shitting on Moore's characters. Yeah. And I also think it's funny that, like, I think at one point Snyder was asked, like, what do you think Moore is going to think about this? Because one of the funniest things about Moore is that most people who love his comics that work in the industry are usually kind of afraid to work on his projects because Moore hates any kind of adaptations to yeah, his comics. Yeah, and he's not afraid to be vocal about I mean, like, Damon Lindelof, who is the writer of, like, Lost, he wrote the script for Prometheus, he kills mm-hmm. it on Watchmen, and he does the HBO's The Leftovers, which I also recommend... Uh, he wrote, like, a multi-page, like, letter that he made public, but he sent it to Moore, basically saying, like, I love your comic, I'm super big fan of all your work, please don't put a hex on me. Like, it's yeah. like a five-page version <laughs> of, like, please, Alan Moore, don't hate me. Yeah. And, like, even David Hayter, like, has an interview where, like, he called Alan Moore and was basically like, I understand that you hate the Hollywood system. Personally, I have experience where that makes sense, but I love your work. And, like, Moore is a nice guy. What's so funny about Snyder, though, is Snyder didn't really give a shit. Yeah. Where, like, Snyder, I think, at one point said, like, worst case scenario, 
he'll put it on his DVD player in the UK and think it's okay. And then Moore got pissed because he was so just like, un- he just didn't care. Yeah. And like Moore's like, you piece Being of shit. I'm dismissed. not gonna. Yeah. He's like, I'm not gonna put this on my fucking DVD player. It's it's a it's a disgrace. And then later he was like. Now that I'm less mad, I, I might give it a watch in the future. Like, like Snyder's like one of the only people who works on this that I think is not a huge fan and not afraid of like adapting Moore's work. And I think it does help in a lot of ways that he didn't have that fear because he could just do what he wanted, which I think is yeah. in a good and bad way in the final product. Yeah, and it, I mean it's yeah Snyder definitely has a strong he operates largely from ego which i don't mean inherently as a bad thing Mm -hmm. you know he's very confident in his work and he gets a clear vision for what he wants to do and he doesn't care if you know that strays from what the original intended or what Mm -hmm. other people want from him yeah and he's very defiant about that yeah at the same time i think he gets a little bullheaded yes about sticking up for an idea that maybe he didn't put as much thought into as he wants you to think he did mm-hmm. um, no, and yeah. kind of engaging in the sort of vitriolic playground mm-hmm. back and forth between fans and creators yeah. and it's like dude just if you're gonna be above it be above it mm-hmm. don't act like you're above it and then like fire back at people yeah oh yeah it's it's again this is like the perfect time to I think be a Snyder fan because there hasn't been a lot that he's done that you could be like mm, I don't know if I really like like what he said about this or that because uh, later on like yeah. I mean, we've already talked about it like like you said oh, you like, mean this film is a yeah good space yeah like, yeah yeah, yeah because be like this is this yeah. is before where he's like you know the fans don't know shit he's yeah like, this is what he I'm becomes more do. militant when he yeah. takes over at this DC. this ain't your daddy's justice league <laughs> this is my like this is it's time to grow is, up yeah this is right before he kind of has that vibe yeah. of like i i am adult i'm mature yeah. like it's the perfect time like i think again if you saw this film and either you loved it initially but you're worried to go back or maybe even hated it when it first came out i do think if you just rewatch it you'll find a really good adaptation that I think is decent enough and I think does the visuals well enough that I think, for me, just the fact that it gets Manhattan, like Manhattan's origin story is a 10 out of 10. The opening mm-hmm. sequence is a 10 out of 10. Rorschach's performance, like there are so many perfect elements in this really good film that I would warrant, you know, rereading the comic, giving this a watch, especially the director's cut. If you like the comics, it gives you a little bit more to work with and just enjoy it because in all honesty, when it comes to, Snyder's good films, not only do I consider it, like we've said before, the best, but it's also the most interesting in his good yeah, films. it's the most intellectually yeah. interesting. Which, which definitely makes sense considering it is adapting such an intelligent, interesting book. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, let's get into box office. Let's just get, let's okay, just get yeah, right into yeah. it because it's like, it's interesting now because this is also a first time for Snyder because this is the first time he doesn't make three to four to like five times the budget right so like this film was made on 120 million dollars okay i was gonna guess like 150 yeah no it was 120 million how much do you think it made in its total like worldwide uh i don't know uh what did let's see uh 300 made like 450 million yeah i mean like it made like six times it's yeah i'll go i don't know like six five six hundred million for watchmen (sighs) Oh my god. Okay, so domestically it made a little over a hundred and seven hundred and seven million. Okay. Domestically it made 
or internationally, it made seventy-seven million. Oh, in total, wow. the worldwide gross of Watchmen is a little under, over a hundred eighty-five million dollars. Wow, so it tanked. Okay, so that's what I'm telling you when I say that this film came out at the worst time. Yeah, because people, right. even people who enjoyed this film, it wasn't enough to get more people to go in the theaters. I think this yeah. is the this was the first comic book film or like the first R-rated film that like made 50 million in its first weekend mm-hmm. it was the longest to get to 100 million like 31 32 days Ugh. like almost a month after it came out it made 100 million lots of hype no yeah. legs it, like it was it was again this is the first time we're going to see this and it's not going to be the last right <laughs> we see a Snyder film that actually is critically received well enough and yeah. you know People do like it, and it's not a horrible dumpster fire, but it doesn't really. It's not a hardcore. It's not a hardcore bomb, but it really doesn't make its money back either. So it's like, it is a bit of a flop. Yeah, and uh, in that is Watchmen, and that is the end of our Rise of Snyder trilogy. So yeah. like, give yourselves a pat on the back, everybody. You got through a boring Snyder directorial debut, a straightforward Snyder film that everyone knows. And now you're listening to the one you probably thought we would hate. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, it's been interesting to see people who listen, which if you're listening still, thank you so much. But it's been interesting to see people's responses where it's like, we know somebody who is like, oh, Dawn of the Dead's like his best film. And I'm like, whoa, really? Yeah. Like, it's like, it's all over the place what people consider his best film. The weird thing and... is, I, I've, you know, I'm in some forums and whatever, Facebook groups and stuff. The dark web. Big, big, yeah, the dark <laughs> web. Um, big, That's where Rorschach is. <laughs> you know, kind of cinephile groups, mm-hmm. as it were. And, uh, yeah, I, I keep running into that. People really like Dawn of the Dead, and I don't get it. Which I will say now, do a little bit of housekeeping, because I've gotten this question before, and I just want to let you know, if you listen to our Dawn of the Dead episode, which thank you so much for oh, listening, yeah. um, my apologies for the audio. For some reason that day, everything seemed to be either going wrong or just being as loud as can be. Yeah, we had the fridge so, going. We yeah. had the plumbing. We had... Yeah, my neighbor decided to have a yard sale and was, like, blasting music outside, which, of course, was the perfect, like, angle from the window to, like, <laughs> come through. You can kind of hear some of the bass licks in that recording. <laughs> like, it was just, like, it was... It's it's a good episode. I still recommend you listen to it, but I'm telling you, it's not going to happen again. I promise you that. <laughs> Believe it or not, we don't have our own private studio. No, we have a, a nice, swanky, 70s-esque bar in my basement because it's our... <laughs> It's the landlord's uh, uh, father-in-law's, or yep. he built it, and it's very nice and a perfect place to sit and talk about Snyder's films. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I guess, housekeeping-wise, I think in the 300 episode I said the the Bechtel test was the podcast about like following the Bechtel test with... Which makes sense, but it's actually the Bechtel cast. Bechtel test is what the Bechtel cast is referencing yes. in their name. Yes, which if you are looking for a new movie podcast to add on to ours, plus but you listen to this first, then go listen to the Bechdel cast. <laughs> Please and thank you. We put all our recommendations uh, at the end of the episode. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think I'd recommend, have you, I mean, do you have a specific episode? You, you've listened to a little bit of their I've stuff. I've listened right? to a little bit, but it's, yeah. it's been a while. Yeah. Um, they did an episode on 500 Days of Summer. Highly oh, recommended. I think that's. It's a great episode. Yeah. And it honestly makes me want to rewatch it and find a way to make that into an odd trilogy <laughs> to talk about it. But, uh, yeah, so we are now done with the Rise of Snyder trilogy. You know, pat yourselves on the back again. We are now going into our our spooky, scary trilogy, 
after we talk about what we're going to be doing right before that, because yeah. we have a a little little a Snyder we, snack, if you will, yeah. in between we have a little, little bonus, <laughs> little yeah Snyder little. snack next week. Yes, um, we're gonna do we. Th- so Snyder did more than three movies before he yes. went DC. He actually did five. Um, yeah. So right? like so we, so we mm-hmm. since we're taking the trilogy format, you know, trying to do sets of three movies. Occasionally, there will be movies that we want to talk about, but don't fit into the format, or they're you know less significant to a mm-hmm. to a filmmaker's filmography. It, and we'll do little bonus episodes for that. We're probably going to call them freequels. Yes, yeah, so odd trilogies and freequels. Whether they're prequels to the actual trilogies that we talk mm-hmm. about, or technically sequels, we thought you know freequels is a perfect name for that, yeah. which is basically just. A bonus episode that may or may not be as long. It depends. It'll probably be shorter. We'll probably Maybe have less to talk about. We will see with this next, the <laughs> one we're going to make our first prequel on. Because, yeah, you're right. When it comes to Snyder, like, we have an idea in terms of how we want to do a trilogy for Snyder's DC EU films. And it was easy to make a trilogy about these three films yeah. because they're all just unique and different in their own way. Yeah, and there's a clear progression of yeah. Snyder's filmography and mm-hmm. Snyder's style and his, yeah. his vision. But there, there are two films in between this trilogy and his DC films that are unique in their own way and honestly mm-hmm. do not fit really with like, again, just like this Rise of Snyder trilogy are kind of in their own vein and then they're different thing. Right. And with this one, this is actually the, the film we're going to be talking about next week is the only animated film Zack Snyder's ever done. Yeah. Which is... I hope you have the title, Andy, because uh, I don't know off the top of my head. It's uh, Legends of Gahul. No, Le- Legend of the Guardians. Legend of the Guardians, Owls of Gahul, I believe. I was hoping you wrote that down because, like, I blinked as soon as I brought it up. Yeah, I had but it yes. written in shorthand in my notes as just Guardians so, of Gahul. But I it's think... Legend of the Guardians, the Owls of Gahul. So, yeah, a year. Literally a, a year, year after Watchmen. After Watchmen the only animated film that Snyder has ever done is released, and it is a film that really does not fit anywhere in his filmography. It's it's actually the, yeah. it's the only film that I went, wait, he did that? Like, I thought he just produced that. Right, right. Like, we went through his filmography, and I it truly had a blind spot for the Owls of Gahul. <laughs> it's like, uh, what is it, Strange Magic, that George Lucas yes, animated movie? Yeah, it's yeah. like, wait, that's George Lucas? Yeah, it came out in January, so <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. why would they dump this if it was... No, yeah. it really is George Lucas. So but... that'll, that'll be our, a little bonus episode on, on this Snyder trilogy. Yes. Eventually, kind of leading yes. up to when the Snyder cut of the Justice League releases, which is kind of the impetus for all of this, oh, this yes. Snyder episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, when that gets ready to come out next year, I think it's slated for a spring release. I thought it was summer. Okay, we, maybe it's Again, a, it's a there's summer. so much shit but, surrounding uh, that that yeah. I, I don't know an actual release date been announced. But when Justice League Snyder Cut is preparing to be released on HBO Max, we're going to do Snyder's um, DC trilogy. Yeah. So his three uh, DC Comics films prior well including justice league yeah the theatrical cut so we're going to be doing man of steel batman v superman dawn of justice and we're going to be doing the theatrical cut of justice league and then do a special episode surrounding the snyder cut and preemptively before the snyder dc trilogy we will probably sneak in another frequel to fit in snyder's other kind of one-off odd film um sucker punch yes because his only original film that he wrote that's the thing too is the owls of kahul is the only animated film he's ever done 
Sucker Punch, which he makes, I think, a year after Legends of the Guardians. That was yeah, cool. 2011. Yeah, that film is the only film where he actually writes it all by himself. And it's an original. It's holy it's not a Snyder. Yeah. And that is going to be a fucking mess. And I cannot wait till we <laughs> yeah. get to that point. But as of right now, next week, right before we get into our Halloween trilogy, which I'm super excited about, mm-hmm. we are going to be talking about Legend of the Guardians, The Owls of Gahul, as our very first frequel bonus episode. But until then, I'm Logan Sowash. And I'm Andy Carr. And thank you so much for listening. Bye.